It is wonderful to be with you this morning. It's Sunday, best day of the week, and you're at Southfield, best place to be. It is going to be a great day. We've already had quite an adventure today, uh, yesterday actually, yesterday morning. We had our annual, annual meeting as a church, and one of the things that we shared is some of the opportunities that God, God is giving us to communicate the gospel in, in ways that, that we've not done before, and it's really exciting. So, I mean, you all know a while back with the COVID shutdowns and everything else, we went to streaming on a more regular basis, and so that works out well in a number of ways. For some people, it's, it's the front door. That's first time they look and say, what's this place all about? Mm-hmm. For others, they're, they're not able to get here because of uh, physical conditions or distance. We literally have someone that lives on the other side of the world that watches, so we have that communication opportunity, and that is great. And then lately, uh, we, have, we have church family who have family members and friends who are deaf. And so we've been talking about what can we do in order to, to reach out to the deaf community. And this morning, for the first time, uh, we had someone here. Her name was Claudia, and she was signing while we had a nice group over here enjoying uh, listening to the service. And she had a heck of a morning because oh used a lot of big words. A lot of Greek. I don't. She. There were a couple of times she'd turn around and like give him a look. Like, what am I supposed to do with this? And she just pointed the screen. So yeah, it was. It wasn't a purposeful test or anything, but it wasn't. But she it's, passed. It's a she day passed. of fifty-nine dollar words, so I felt really yeah. bad. But but that was great. That was great. And then another thing we continue to explore. We're looking for devices, ways to do this. But you know, we have a growing population of people who speak either Spanish exclusively or or Spanish mostly, and we're how can we communicate live in the moment with people who are who are not speaking not speaking English? And I, I'll tell you what, just watching the signing this morning, the idea that someone can listen and do this at the same time is mind blowing. And actually, on the way out of church, uh, someone stopped me and said, "You know, I do I do Spanish translation for a living." So I'm like, "Oh, how could we set this up now so that someone can be in the room speaking mm-hmm. and whatever?" So I just love the way God is giving us opportunities to reach, reach out to every community, every people at a place like ours yeah. with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. So we reach out to you every Friday or Saturday with a weekend update. Mm-hmm. And the best news of the year is in this update. That's right. Go for it. Last Sunday, we kept it quiet because I truly wanted to see who waits and hits refresh on the registration page like Nikkel Carlson used to. She used to be the first one to sign up because she'd literally sit there until midnight, refresh, 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 bing, and she'd be the first to sign up for Green Lake. It's officially open. Wednesday, we had registration open. The Finks got in. I believe they were the first ones, and last that I saw to sign up as of this morning was Adam Brooks. We've got a so big spread in terms of uh, how many kids are already signed up, the age ranges. Remember, this is our, our annual trip that we take up to Green Lake Christian Conference Center in Wisconsin every year. It's about three and a half hours away, and we just go spend time uh, working, so supporting the conference center because they rely on volunteers. So we teach kids how to work and how to work well without complaining. Uh, we spend time every day studying, uh, studying the Word, so learning about Jesus, learning about concepts that um, that they need in order to, to live a, a life that honors God. And the thing that I love about it is that it's in a place that is void of normal electronics. Because mm-hmm. we stay actually at this, they have several hotel, um, several hotel buildings on grounds. None of them have TVs. So this isn't like going to the, uh, the Hampton Inn mm-hmm. and staying in, you know, staying in a suite or something like that. 
No, it's, it's a space that, yeah, they have their phones that they, could, um, that they could use. But for the most part, we're spending time together, face-to-face, talking, having real conversations, playing real games, having real fun. And initially, that it brings about some, some nervousness for those kids who are first-timers. Yeah. If you have a student that is entering sixth grade this fall, so they're currently in fifth grade, they are eligible to come with us um, in, in June. We go June 4th to June 9th, and that trip goes, so entering sixth grade in the fall all the way to leaving for college in the fall. It's a beautiful spread. We get to see a lot of really cool things happen. Our older kids take some incredible leadership, sometimes directed, sometimes just freely on their own, uh, watching over the, the younger kids, and we have a blast. It is a, a wonderful trip that we have seen just some incredible, incredible results from. So registration's open. The reason that we're bringing it up today, which, because we know June seems like it's far away, uh, th- this month there is a registration discount. So if you get signed up during the month of February, there's $20 off. Uh, for each registration. So make sure that you're getting signed up for that. If you've already got those dates blocked off, um, might as well get registered today. We've been working our way through, started a couple weeks ago, an all-church study and experience that we're calling Going Deeper. And, and it's based in part on a workbook that's called Theology and the Mission of God. Yesterday at the, at the annual meeting, I said I'm watching two, two paths emerge in evangelicalism. Uh, related to the, the, the reaction and response to our times and to our culture. One branch of evangelicalism is saying, let's adapt to what's happening. Let's, let's buy what's happening. Let's, let's take what the world calls truth and claim it as our own. And I think there's another, another path of evangelicalism that's looking backward. Not looking backward longingly and saying, I wish we could go back to what was, but looking back to foundations, looking back to beginnings, looking back to basics and saying, what are the things that we need to know and we need to believe if we're going to weather difficult times? And I think that's, that's the path we're on. We're looking back at, at basic doctrines and asking the question, what, what really matters? What, what, keeps us, what keeps us focused on Christ and focused on the mission that he has given us? So part of that, a couple of experiences are offered, and, and those were part of the update. One of the experiences is just a, a chance to encounter God through some, through some nature, through some nature experiences. So that's coming up uh, here in a, in a few weeks. And then when the whole experience is done, the weekend after, we're encouraged to get involved in serving someone. But this isn't kind of a make something for someone and drop it off. There's an encouragement to, to serve the way Jesus would. So not just serve and drop off, but let's eat together. Mm-hmm. Let's share this together. Let's do this together. So we're trying to come up with some experiences where we can have real eye-to-eye, face-to-face interaction with people. One of the suggestions that came up was uh, to use the facility God has given us for an evening of offering a, a mom-dad night out so that we can, we can take care of the kids and mom and dad can, I mean, you're learning how this works, Go back to the house and take a nap. I wouldn't do... even make it to the house. I'd make it to the car and fall asleep. Yeah, so, so we're looking to do that, but, but here's the thing. We're, we're not, this isn't just uh, Southfield serving Southfield. We're literally putting this beyond us to some newsletters and whatever in the community saying, we want to offer this to you. Mm-hmm. And so this isn't the opportunity for us all to sign up to have our kids taken care of. 
but the chance to make an invitation to say, hey, you want your kids to have a, a fun night and you get to go relax, this is something that's going on for you. So, so that's on our website. You can be inviting people to take advantage of that, and you can also be part of uh, the crew that's going to get involved in, in caring for the kids. And we know that currently with our Dive Deeper series, many of you are in journey groups, and I hope that week one and week two have all gone uh, super well, but for for this experience, you don't need to be a part of a journey group in order to, to jump on board. So if you are just joining us on Sunday mornings, maybe you're going through the book uh, with yourself or you know, with your family, not a part of a junior group, or you're just here on Sunday and you're not doing the book, you are still open and welcome to be a part of those experiences because they are going to be meaningful and they're going to, again, show the way that we're supposed to live. For some of you, you want to be involved in serving with that, but you have your own kids, and we recognize that then you got to bring your kids along, so your kids have to be registered. Just know that the more of our own kids that we have, the less opportunity we have to invite someone else. So I'm hoping a bunch of people my age, you know, whose kids are, you know, taking care of themselves, will come join in on this mm -hmm. and, and help, to, help to serve in that way. We're going we're gonna to jump right into the morning. One of the things we've been doing uh, here at the beginning before you go have a seat is to talk through kind of, a, kind of an introduction to the teaching of the day. And um, what we're doing, you know, as we're looking through theology and the mission of God, we're trying to understand basic Christian doctrines. We love God the Father. We love God the Son. We love God the Holy Spirit. We love the church. We love the mission he's given us in the world. We love the creation he's given us. All these pieces, we, we, these are foundational Christian doctrines. And in order to understand the truth better, we're looking at some error. We're looking at the opposite side, what are classically known as heresies. Now, a heresy isn't just, you don't agree with me, and so I call you a heretic. What's a heresy? What's going on when, when something's an actual heresy? An absolute direct contradiction to truth. So if we say God is God, is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the, the Trinity, three in one, a heresy would be saying anything other than that, anything that tries to split them up or change the nature of God. So it's changing the nature of God, changing the nature of the gospel to the point that if we, if we actually believe that heresy, you would not be able to enter into a relationship with right. God with the gospel that they're describing. You wouldn't have a relationship with God because depending on what they're describing, Jesus is not God. Right. And so there are a whole bunch of heresies directly related to the nature of Jesus. And we see this shortly after the church is formed and on into the first several centuries of the early church People try to make sense of that which is beyond our mind and imagination. Mm -hmm. You can talk all day about how you understand the Trinity to work. And I'm telling you, on one hand, we can get a basic idea. On the other hand, there is just such a tremendous amount of mystery there that if we come to a place that we've, we've very easily explained it, we're probably right on the edge of heresy. And the same is true of the nature of Jesus. The fact that Jesus is fully God and fully human at the same time, 100% God, 100% man. And, and, and what happens in the, in the early centuries is people are trying to resolve that and they find it irresolvable. So they start coming up with their own explanations that either diminish the deity of Jesus, he's not God, or they diminish the humanity of Jesus. He's not a human. They can't buy into what God himself says, that he is God. So Right, they're tearing apart the story of Jesus and who he actually is. So if I'm teaching at Green Lake or you're teaching at Green Lake, we are teaching what the Bible says about Jesus. What the Bible says about Jesus is that he is first 
not created. He is 100% God, along with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. He came to earth in human form by virgin birth um, through Mary. That virgin birth was directed by the Holy Spirit, not anything, not anyone on earth. Um, and it was a, he, so he came as a physical person. When he was born, he was both 100% God and 100% man. Anything else, any other explanation of that would be a heresy. He lived a perfect life while he was here on earth, unlike any life that anyone on earth has ever been able to live. At the end of his 33 years, he died a virtuous and yet completely unjust death. Why? Not because of anything he did, but because of how much he loves us. He knew that he was the only one that could pay the penalty for our sins. And the penalty of our sins, as it says in Romans, is death. He died so that we could be saved. He was in that grave for three days. He was resurrected not just as a spirit, but he was resurrected physically after those three days. And that was cause for celebration because that fulfilled all the different pieces of the Old Testament prophecy that pointed to who our Savior would be. He was here then spending time for 40 days with his disciples and with his followers, giving them information, guiding them, leading them before he gave them the Great Commission and ascended back into heaven. Anything else, any other story, any other myth, any other understanding of that that is apart from what the Word of God, the Bible says, is heresy. So there, there are, yeah, good job. So there are a number, there are a number of classic heresies that I want to share with you today. We're not going through these in detail. I just want to show you the variations of what happens. We already looked last week at Doetism, which is part of Gnosticism. Gnostics believe that matter is evil. Everything, everything we see is evil, and and it was unimaginable to them that perfect God, holy God, could exist in imperfect, sinful, evil matter. So their way of rationalizing that, he wasn't human. He wasn't physically real. He was an apparition. He appeared to be human, but he wasn't really human. His, his sufferings, his passion appeared to be suffering, but it wasn't really suffering. Which I said last week would have really messed with Doubting Thomas. I right, really right, if that's, right. If that was true, yeah. oh man. So yeah. they're, they're completely emphasizing divinity, and they're saying, forget, forget the humanity. We're going to push that aside. This fella, I love him, Theodosius of Byzantium. Byzantium. Theodosius was actually a shoemaker, a leather worker, and he starts noodling through how this all works, and he decides that Jesus did not exist prior to his birth here on earth. So there's no divinity in that regard. He's born, and God the Father puts him to a series of tests, and he passes test after test after test after test. And so he comes to his baptism, and his baptism God announces the contest winner. Mm -hmm. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And at that point, now he becomes divine. But he was not divine prior. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches he's been, he's been divinity, he's been God from all time. Mm -hmm. So he's always been God. But he, but he slices off a bit of the divinity and emphasizes the humanity. Arianism Arianism believes that there is only one unbegotten being in all the world, and that's God the Father, and that Jesus was begotten of the Father. Now, we're going to look at that word a little bit in, the, in this sermon, because if you memorize John 3.16 the way I memorized John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten Son. So what's going on there? But he believed that Jesus was a creature 
but that he was not divine. He was, he was, uh, he was, those two were separate again. Then you go over to this one, Nestorianism. Nestorianism believed that, that Mary gave birth to the human Jesus, but he was not divine when he was in Jesus. So again, a separating out of the two. These ones are fun. Did you figure out how to pronounce them yet? Eutychianism or monophytism. Either of these... This is the point where Claudia turned around. Yeah, right. What am I supposed to do with this? These ones are interesting because they believe that Jesus is neither God nor human. He's totally other. So he's his own unique class of being that is neither divine nor human. He's just out there as something else. I share all of these with you in part because... As we've said, when it comes to heresy, what goes around comes around. And there, there are denominations, there are schools of thought in our own time that have picked up on some of these ancient heresies and teach them today. And as you listen to them, as you talk with them, there are pieces at times that it seems like we're saying the same thing, but we're not. The two areas in particular that you see this are Mormonism and Jehovah Witnesses. With, Mormonis, with Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses, they both play with the nature and character of God. Now, it's interesting that with Mormonism, it's tougher to dig it out than it is with Jehovah Witness. Mm-hmm. With, with Mormonism, I think they've made more of an attempt to try to appeal to, to culture. They, they want acceptance. And so it's a little tougher to get down to the detail of what they're teaching. Jehovah Witnesses, they believe they're right. And if you don't believe, so what? Boom. So you can literally go to their website, jw.org, and it says directly on the website, Jesus is not God. That's probably all we need right there. Jesus is not God. That's what they say. So let me give a little bit of Mormonism in Jesus. Mormons believe that the Trinity is three separate gods. It's not, it's not Trinity. So it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are three separate gods among thousands and thousands and thousands of gods. Here, here's, here's the bargain for you today. If you're a male, you have the chance to be a god. If you're a female, you have the chance to be eternally pregnant, which turns a lot of people off from Mormonism. <laughs> so um, basically the way this worked is God, God the Father, God the, why, why do you think we don't tell you all of what goes on in Mormonism, right? God the Father is the God over this particular planet. And God the Father birthed a bunch of spirit children, and those spirit children need a body. And so human beings, when, when Emmett came into the world, the two of you fulfilled the mission of providing a spirit child with a body here on earth. And so a man has the opportunity to go have his own planet and populate it with a bunch of women who are always pregnant, which must be a really fun planet. So anyway, that's what's going on in, in Mormonism. They believe that Jesus was one of these spirit children of God the Father, and he's, and he's birthed to the earth by Mary in combination with God the Father. Now, even that should tweak you a little bit because when you're thinking through Luke 2, what does it say? The Holy Spirit shall overshadow you. It doesn't say God the Father, and they believe the three are distinct and separate. So separate altogether. When you're talking with a Mormon, and it sounds like we're talking about the same Jesus, we are not. It's the, it's the same historic Jesus, but it's not the same divine, fully divine, fully human Jesus. Come over to Jehovah Witnesses, a little different. They believe that Jesus existed 
before creation in the form of Michael the archangel. So God created Michael the archangel, and at creation, now he becomes at Jesus instead of being Michael, or I think it's actually at his birth. Jehovah miraculously used his Holy Spirit to transfer Jesus' life from heaven to the womb of a young virgin Mary. In this way, Jesus was born as a human. When Jesus was born on earth, he was a mere human and not God in the flesh. His resurrection was a spiritual resurrection, but not a physical resurrection. Mm -hmm. We could go find his bones still today in a grave somewhere. And this is straight from their website. Jesus is not God Almighty. The Bible teaches that although Jesus is powerful as a powerful spirit creature in heaven, he is subject to his God and Father, Jehovah. So they're not the same. They're not the same. And we need to know this as we're talking to other people. And it seems like just because someone uses the word Jesus doesn't mean we're talking about the same heavenly human right. being, Jesus Christ. The other element of this, the reason we study the nature of God, the nature of Jesus, and next week the nature of the Holy Spirit is because when you mess with, when you tweak the foundational truths of the Bible, it leads to other trouble. So for example, Jehovah Witnesses, when you go and look at their website, again, one of the things that they have an issue with is hell. There is no hell. So without a hell, without eternal separation from God as a result of our sin, what's the need? For Jesus' death, burial, resurrection in the way that the Bible describes it. If there is no separation, then it's unnecessary. So it bleeds into all different kinds of other troubles. So we need to start foundationally and know who God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, God three in one is. Now both of these groups carry a, a, a piece of what we looked at with Gnosticism last week. They believe that you have to tap into secret knowledge in order to come to the place of what we would call salvation. There are pieces that you're not going to know until, until we reveal it to you. There's a secret knowledge. So if you've had a conversation with a Jehovah Witness, or if you have one in the future, one of the things that they're going to kind of play with you a little bit is, if you knew the Greek Bible, you'd know that the Jesus we believe in is not God. And you're like, well, my pastor knows the Greek Bible, but I don't know the Greek Bible. Tell me more. And so they go over to John 1, 1. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And again, this is where we had some fun with Claudia today. <laughs> so, so what we read up here in Greek is, in our K, eme ha logos, kai ha logos, eme pros, ha theos, kai ha logos, eme theos. Super thankful for not making him make me read right. this. Right. <laughs> Let's say, you don't, let's say you don't know a thing of Greek, but look at that Greek line. You see something reappearing again and again and again. Ha. Huh. Looks like Santa is all over this verse, right? Ha, 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 ha. Not ho, ho, ho. Ha, ha, ha. It's, it's a definitive article. It's the in Greek. It's the word the in Greek. You put the, the definitive article in front of the son, he is the son, not a son, not someone else's. He is the son, Dennis's son, not just any old son. Mm -hmm. So when you look at this, what you start to see is, I'll give you arrows. In the beginning was the word, the word was with the God, and the word was, wait, no ha. Huh. What's going on there? Why in the world is there the word, the word, the God, the word, no the before that God. They say, see, look, Jesus is not God. If Jesus was God, there would be a ha there. There would be a the there. 
but there's no the there. It says Jesus is a God. It doesn't say Jesus is the God. It says Jesus is the God. This is when you need to look really smart. Because you say, I don't know Greek, but I know the Granville Sharp rule. <laughs> What's the Granville Sharp rule, you say? <laughs> well, I'm not going to make you quote the Granville Sharp rule, but this is the way it works. Look at these two example sentences. We met the owner and the curator of the museum, Mr. Holton. Now, on one hand, you look at that sentence and you say, Mr. Holton is the owner and the curator, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. But if somebody's kind of overthinking the sentence a little bit, it may look like there are two different people being talked about here. We met the owner. We don't know his name, her name. And we met the curator, Mr. Holton. So in English, and in fact in any language that uses a definitive article, which is all of them, here's the tendency. We met the owner and curator of the museum, Mr. Holton. Typically, even as you're talking, you don't repeat the word the twice. You say it once to cover both nouns as you're con continuing to speak. That's exactly, exactly what's going on in this sentence. The word, the word was with God, and the word was the God. Same thing. He just doesn't use the article again based on the basics of Greek grammar. So uh, you get tricked sometimes. Someone will, someone will try to play the I'm smarter than you game. If you had this secret knowledge, you'd know too. And honestly, it doesn't take a lot of digging to find out what exactly is going on in that sentence. Which is why we are commanded to be prepared with an answer. Not just an answer for the gospel, but when people come presenting their interpretation of the word. We shouldn't stand there stunned like, wait, what? I've never heard that or I've never understood. No, we need to be ready for a de to defend God, to defend the, the nature of God, to defend the nature of Jesus, the nature of the Holy Spirit. And if we don't take time to study this, if we don't purposefully um, put some, some work in to know this, then we're going to be stand, standing there dumbfounded and it's going to give it's going to give authority to the heresy. And, and I love what you said. Let me just throw this piece in too. Sometimes someone will say something that catches you off guard, and it's not a bad thing to say. I don't know now, but I'll find I out. I need to come back. Yeah. I'll find out. Yeah. And then call Brian, and he'll have the answer and give it to you. But no, I'll find out. I'll study. I'll learn more. So every week I'm trying to give you some extra resources on a particular topic if you want to dig a little deeper into that one. For God the Son, there are two books I really have enjoyed. Uh, this one is by John Stott called The Incomparable Christ. And he basically traces through uh, who Jesus is and beliefs about Jesus all the way through the Gospels and, and, and church history. So really fascinating book. And then there's the other book called The Incomparable <laughs> Christ. I don't know how they got away yeah. with both naming them the exact same yeah. thing. But John Stott has one, and then this one's by J. Oswald Sanders. And this is a little bit more devotional style. It's got a, it's got a few pages on each topic. So you, you go through a day on the incarnation, you go through a day on on Jesus' youth, on his deity, just different things to, to ruminate more, think more about the nature and character of Jesus. Both are really good. I've got a personal admission. Uh, I, I like reading. I know how to read, thanks to my Joliet and Manuka education. Uh, but as he's been going through these lists of books, I've, in my own mind, even as I stand here, think, yeah, that'd be nice to get to. But I've got a 40-minute drive each way all week. I've got a child that I now have to take care of and I'm not getting any sleep. When am I going to find the time? I just can't find the time to do all of this extra reading. 
if that's your thought, if, if you, know, you, you spent time watching Hulu or you know, you're watching sports or whatever's going on, I, I'm going to encourage you to do something we talked about last year. I don't remember if it was in the spring or right at the beginning of the summer, but I want you to reframe the way that you're, you're saying that. It's not that you don't have time. It's that you haven't purposefully made time to do that study. So, hand up. I need to spend more of my time doing things like this if I truly want to know and be ready with an answer for the nature of God, Son, and, and the Holy Spirit, three in one. It's, thank you. Very, very good. We, uh, every one of us have some time that's available, and we just, we're using it for something else. So, we love God the Son. We love Him. What's your image of Jesus? When, when I say the word Jesus, what picture comes to your mind? What do you imagine? Maybe your mind immediately goes to the baby in the manger. I say Jesus, you think, you think nativity. Perhaps when I say Jesus, you think of the miracle worker. You can see him walking along the street, touching people, and they can hear, and they can see, and they can walk. Maybe your images of Jesus praying, you focus in on the time in the garden or a night that he goes off by the lakeside or up to the hillside. You just pray to God. Maybe your image is the image of him crucified. Perhaps it's even a crucifix that you think of. You think of the body of Jesus on a cross. Maybe it's not on the cross, but, but you, think, you think of his scars. You imagine just like, just like Thomas, you're standing there and Jesus reaches out his hands and says, look, look at the holes in my hands, look at the holes in my feet, and you think about the scar in his side. Perhaps it's a piece of classic art that comes to your mind. Now, for me, this isn't classic art, only in that I've had it for 30 years, so I guess it's getting close to antique. But anyway, uh, I think of this picture of Jesus. Jesus is just a man who's a carpenter. He's got a job to do. And he's working this piece of wood for whatever it is because he's got, he's got some work to do. What's, what's the picture that comes to your mind of Jesus? Maybe your pictures of Jesus coming on the clouds. You can't wait for that day that he comes on the clouds triumphantly, ends all of this, and takes us home to heaven. That, that's what you're excited about. What does your image of Jesus, that one that comes to your mind, tell you about your relationship with Jesus? What do you learn about you and Jesus as, as you jump pretty immediately to that image? You know, I, this picture, I pulled it out this week, and I'm, and I'm looking at it, and I think, my goodness, I've always looked at Jesus as the carpenter in that image, but the interesting thing is my mind thinks he's working the wood, but the whole time he's praying. He's thinking. He's, just, he's talking to the Father as he's doing his human work. And, and it reminds me to do the same thing, that whatever I'm doing, mowing the lawn, whatever it is I'm doing in life that I've got to do, it's an opportunity to be connected with the God the Father, to be, to be talking to him. What, do you have an image of Jesus? What, what do you see? John, the apostle, refers to himself in the gospel as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And John shared some images of Jesus he had some pictures. He had some, he had some ways that he saw Jesus that I think shake the bars of our images and they're important to see. How did John see Jesus? He starts his gospel with these words. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. You see, for a lot of us, we think about Jesus starting the day he was born in Bethlehem. But John says he is eternal God. He is eternal God. He's always been. He always will be. And here's the thing. He's eternally been the Son. He didn't become the Son 
on December 25th in Bethlehem. And I know literally that's not the date, I get it. But he didn't become the son the day he was born. He's been the son for all of eternity. He'll be the son for all of eternity. He is eternal God. John's mind went back to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I mentioned already John 3.16, and we read these words. This is what I learned in Awana, right? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only, or that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That word begotten sounds like Jesus had a starting point. And that word begotten has actually spawned some heresies through the years. As people think that, that Jesus, that God, that God birthed Jesus, so to speak, that he had, he had a starting point, a moment in time. What's interesting is as you look at some of the modern translations, go over to the English Standard Version, for example. That's a very literal translation. It says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Here's my question. Where'd the begotten go? What happened? How do we go from begotten to only, one and only? How did that happen? Look at the two. It's not the same. Well, again, I love Bible Gateway. You can jump on over and look at an interlinear translation. So this means you're looking at English words and Greek words at the same time. And even if you don't know the Greek word, you can look at the words, you can say, okay, here's this word, only son, monogenes huios. And you know, you can click on that word, monogenes, and if you go over, it'll actually show you on the side what the word means. You can click and move over. There's also another site I really like. It's called God Answers. Got questions, got questions. It, it's, uh, it's put out by a, by a conservative evangelical theologian, and, and it's really helpful. So yesterday I, I, I typed out, just asked, you know, what's going on with begotten? What's that all about when it comes to Jesus? And here's the answer. You can, you can read it or you can watch it. I chose to watch. What does it mean that Jesus is God's only begotten son? The phrase, only begotten son, occurs in John 3.16, which reads in the King James Version as, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The phrase, only begotten, translates the Greek word, monogenes. This word is variously translated into English as only, one and only, and only begotten. It's this last phrase, only begotten, used in the KJV, NASB, and the NKJV that causes problems. False teachers have latched onto this phrase to try to prove their false teaching that Jesus Christ isn't God. For example, that Jesus isn't equal in essence to God as the second person of the Trinity. They see the word begotten and say that Jesus is a created being because only someone who had a beginning in time can be begotten. What this fails to note is that begotten is an English translation of a Greek word. As such, we have to look at the original meaning of the Greek word, not transfer English meanings into the text. So what does monogenes mean? According to the Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament and other early Christian literature, monogenes has two primary definitions. The first definition is pertaining to being the only one of its kind within a specific relationship. This is its meaning in Hebrews 11.17, when the writer refers to Isaac as Abraham's only begotten son. Abraham had more than one son, but Isaac was the only son he had had by Sarah and the only son of the covenant. Therefore, it is the uniqueness of Isaac among the other sons that allows for the use of monogonese in that context. The second definition is pertaining to being the only one of its kind or class, unique in kind. 
This is the meaning that is implied in John 3.16. John was primarily concerned with demonstrating that Jesus is the Son of God, and he uses monogenes to highlight Jesus as uniquely God's Son, sharing the same divine nature as God, as opposed to believers who are God's sons and daughters by adoption. Jesus is God's one and only Son. The bottom line is that terms such as Father and Son, descriptive of God and Jesus, are human terms that help us understand the relationship between the different persons of the Trinity. If you can understand the relationship between a human father and a human son, then you can understand, in part, the relationship between the first and second persons of the Trinity. The analogy breaks down if you try to take it too far and teach that Jesus was literally begotten, as in produced or created by God the Father. Yeah, it doesn't mean that he's produced or created. And, you know, when we read the Bible, it tells us what? That we're all children of God. If we've come to, if we've come to God through Jesus, we're sons and daughters of God. But we're adopted children. Jesus is unique in that he is the only son of God, one and only son of God. He's just like God in nature, in substance, in character. He is God, very different from us. We are not God and yet we are God's children. So, so you see the difference between the two. Colossians tells us that the Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the, the firstborn all of creation. He is one of a kind. He is unique. He is the eternal God. So that's one picture that John paints for us. There's a second picture he creates, and that is as intricate creator. I think generally when we think of creation, we think of God the Father as the creator. You know what it tells us time and time again in the New Testament? Jesus is the creator. He was the one involved in creation. John 1 says, through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that was made. John says he's, he's part of the creator. He's intricately creating what's happening in all of creation. You know that in Genesis 1, chapter 26, it says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. God isn't just using a royal we, a royal plural. He's saying there are some of us talking here, and he's, and he's not talking to the angels because the angels are not like him. He's talking to someone like him. The Trinity is talking and saying, let us do this creating. Colossians chapter 1, Paul says, for in him, in Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. When it talks about, it talks about God forming us in the intimacy of the womb, when it, God talk, when it talks about God knowing the details of our life, that's talking about Jesus. He knows us that completely and that fully. So one of the pictures that may change in our mind a little bit as we're enjoying nature to actually stop and say, thank you, Jesus, for all you've created. A lot of times we just say, thank you, God, generally. Jesus is an intricate creator. John wants us to know that. He also wants us to know that he is an inextinguishable illuminator. You can't put him out. He is a light that cannot be snuffed out. He says, in him was life, Jesus, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. For some of us, we look at the condition of our world, we look at the condition of Christianity, and we wonder, is this it? Is it going to end? The light is inextinguishable. It cannot be put out. Christ cannot be put out. Going back to Genesis, it was God who said, let there be light, separated light from darkness. Jesus is an inextinguishable illuminator. Now, what is it that Jesus illuminates? What does he bring light to so that we can see? Well, one, he casts light on the Father. 
By knowing Jesus, by seeing him on earth, by entering into relationship with him, we actually get to know who the Father is. Jesus in John chapter 14 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Philip jumps in and says, Lord, show us the Father. That'll be enough for us. And Jesus says, oh my goodness, I've been with you so long. Don't you get it yet? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I illuminate the Father. You get to know the Father by getting to know me. Paul said that, that for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ. We get a full revelation of who God is as we get to know who Jesus is. We get to know the Father through Jesus. John 1.18 says, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who himself God and who who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, he has made him known. So part of his illumination is he's casting light on the Father. We get to know the Father. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that in the past, revelation came through the prophets, but in these latter times, it's come to us through the Son. The Son, verse 3 says, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So he casts light on the Father, but he also does this. He casts light on us. We're kind of weaselly as humans. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? We like to pretend that our motives are not what they really are. We like to pretend that our actions are not what they really are. And God has a way, Jesus has a way of taking a spotlight and saying, here's reality. I want you to see who you really are. Colossians 1, Paul says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. I would dare say if you ask the average person, were you ever an enemy of God? We'd say, no, I was neutral. But I was never God's enemy. You know what Jesus says? Prior to a relationship with God through Christ, we were all enemies of God. That's the illumination. That's the revelation that he casts on us that we learn about our true state. John says the true light that gives light to everyone has come into the world. He wants to reveal to us who we really are and who the Father really is. His light is inextinguishable. He illuminates all that is unknown. Another thing John says, he is an invested intercessor. Now, in an intercessor, we think of someone that prays or someone that mediates, but he's not merely neutral. He's invested, fully invested. I, w- I want to make sure I was using the right word with intercessor, and there are words that come up as, as, uh, as synonyms like mediator, moderator, go-between, negotiator, middleman, intermediary, intervener, arbitrator, arbiter, conciliar, reconciler, reconciler, honest broker, petitioner, supplicant, peacemaker. All these things describe the relationship that Jesus has between us and the Father. John chapter 12 says, Yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You know that if you go back to Genesis chapter 3, God three chapters into the Bible declares, there's going to come a day that my son is going to come and heal into the head of the snake over dead, done. He's going to conquer all evil. Colossians chapter 2, for in Christ all the fullness 
of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. There's that invested side. Christ is the one. He doesn't just intermediate. He's the one that brings us to very fullness. 1 John chapter 2 says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. We have an intercessor, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. That atoning sacrifice, that's the invested part right there. It's a theological term, propitiation. He's the propitiation for our sins. What does that mean? It's averting the wrath of God by offering a gift. Jesus gives the gift of his blood to God. And in light of that, we are no longer enemies of God. We are friends of God when we receive that blood. It refers to the turning away of the wrath of God and the just judgment of our sins by God's own provision of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And so we have him actually being the one, not only interceding with the Father for us, but being the very sacrifice that pays for our sins. Further, he intercedes for us in prayer. And this, this is a picture that I don't think most of us carry with us. Jesus prays for you. Jesus speaks to the Father for you. You're like, well, there are like, what, 8 billion people in the world. Really? He speaks to God on our behalf. He intercedes for us. First verse I ever learned, I was, in, I was in first grade. I don't know why they chose this one for us to learn as first graders. And we, and we learned it in the King James Bible, so this is what it said. Wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that comes unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. And as a little kid, I wondered, where's the uttermost? I think I want to go there. What's that all about? Well, you come to these newer translations, and you know what it means? It means God can save you completely. Nothing is left out. He saves you completely. But look at that last part. He always lives to intercede for us. He always talks to the Father on our behalf. I think part of the picture that's going on here is Satan, the accuser, is coming time and time and time again and say, did you see what he did today? Did you see what she's thinking right now? Can you believe what she's planning right now? And Jesus is there saying, my blood paid for that person. He intercedes for us to the Father on our behalf. Romans chapter 8, beautiful passage. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, nothing at all. And, and right there buried in the middle of all this, in verse 34 said, right now Jesus is at the right hand of God interceding for us. John doesn't want us to miss the picture that we have this great high priest who went through all the temptations we did, yet without sin, and he's interceding for us. It's not just that he's, he's a neutral arbiter. He's an invested intercessor. He gave his blood for our sins. And so I give you these four pictures, and I ask you, why don't you try walking with one of these pictures this week? Push aside whatever your normal picture or image of Jesus is and, and take one of these. Maybe you just need to think about the eternal nature of God, of Jesus. You only ever think of him as the human on earth, not the one who has always existed and always will. Perhaps you'll think of him as the intricate creator. As you're walking this week and, and it hits 50 degrees, you'll say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your beautiful creation. 
inextinguishable illuminator. Maybe you'll take the time to realize that he wants to show you things and his light cannot be put out or invested in intercessor, that you would just stop and think, right now, Jesus is praying for me. I'm not alone. He's praying for me. We can't talk about Jesus without talking about this truth. You can never have a relationship with God the Father without Jesus. You can try, you can do your best, you can, do, you, can, you can try to obey every rule in the Bible and some rules that aren't in the Bible. You can never do it perfectly enough. God knew that. He knows our brokenness. He knows our imperfection. And he offers us the blood, the sacrifice of Jesus as the payment for our sin. And all we have to do is believe. Believe that he died to pay for our sin. There is no further work to be added to it. Believe that he died. Recognize our sinful state and believe that it is only his death, burial, and resurrection, his blood that can remove my sin and the penalty of my sin. And so, God, we pray today that whoever hasn't come to that place yet, they would have the, the biblical wisdom as well as the utter humility to say, I have sinned, Lord Jesus. And today I ask you, I recognize that your blood is the payment for my sin. I believe you forgive me. Not because of who I am, not because of what I've done, not because of my potential, but because of Jesus. Amen. And so we celebrate Jesus right now by going to communion. We have tables around the room. We walk to communion. I think it's important that it's, a, that it's a conscious decision, not just a plate being passed by and I take something, but I'm making the walk. I've taken the time to confess my sin, to be in right relationship with God, to examine myself, and now I'm walking to communion to receive bread and cup, reminded once again of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the payment for my sin. So, so walk to one of those stations in the front or the back. Gluten-free is on either side of the platform, and there's even a gluten-free table at the back. And we'll be listening to a song that affirms everything we believe about God the Father, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. Uh, let's go to communion. I doubt we'll have control over the playlist in heaven or that they're going to take requests. But I hope there comes a day that we get the chance to sing that song in the presence of God the Father with the Holy Spirit hovering around us and within us looking at Jesus on that throne. I, I can't think of too many songs that more eloquently tell the story of our salvation. It just beautifully unfolds where we were, where we are, and where we will be. And I hope this week as you take that song with you, you will carry in your spirit those words. Praise the Father. Praise the Son. Praise the Spirit. See you next week.